0: we're headed to outer space in this episode of Monster Kid Radio. I thought we'd kick off the podcast with a song called Space Race. It's from the new EP, Vanguard, and it's from a band called the Lost Cosmonauts. They're a surf space band out of Washington, D.C. You can find them at Lost Cosmonauts and then the number one Bandcamp.com, or just look them up on Facebook or follow the link in the show notes over at monsterkidradio.net. That's our website. This is the podcast. I am your host, writer, producer, Derek M. Cook. Welcome to the show. So like I said, we're going to outer space this week. That's because we're going to be talking about the movie space probe Taurus from 1965. It has a pretty small cast, but one of those cast members is the late and loved Francine York. So I thought we'd talk about this movie this week on the show with our friend Stephen D. Sullivan. I know he's been busy with CushingHorrors.com and we'll talk about that too. We're going to talk about the movie, talk about some things that we liked about it, a few things that we didn't, and then somehow the conversation just turned into a commercial for a couple of our filmmaker friends and and you'll know who they are once we get to that part of the conversation we're going to get to all of that i have a few comments to make about a recent screening that i attended last week and that all happens right oh one more thing i know that the movie was not produced in canada i did correct myself later in the conversation so you know I, i know better okay now on to the rest of the show
1: running it's the end of everything what do you mean I'm not arguing theory general I'm here to ask you to beg you to save your own world idiot the most fascinating fascinating mastermind mastermind man can conceive a monster that can control all sources of the earth's power power, able to pull man-made spaceships from their orbits orbits, making of those it chooses slaves. slaves Of this woman, a willing handmaiden. Of the chief of police, a cold-blooded killer. Well, I've known you for five years. You just killed a man in cold blood. Why? I'll have to place you under protective custody. Peter Graves, the scientist who fought IT. Beverly Garland, who believed her love stronger than IT. Lee Van Cleef, whose brilliant mind was captured by IT
2: ready to stop loving me i'll need you even when no emotion exists for a few dollars you can you can hire a woman who'll fit all your fetishes
1: who'll match your requirements perfectly then if you ever get tired of it you can always run down to the employment agency for another you'll know terror to freeze your blood you'll feel the heart-stopping strength of the most fearful monster ever known
2: You think you're gonna make
1: a slave of the world? I'll see you in hell first! Idiot conquered the world.
3: comic book fans, I'm Joe Stuber, producer and host of
0: Comic Book Central, where each and every week I welcome a legendary talent to the Comic Book Central lair to talk about bringing comic books to life.
1: Greetings, true believers. This is
0: Stan Lee. When do you think the Academy is going to wise up and create a special Oscar category for Best Cameo?
1: I don't know. They're just asleep on their feet. Maybe your show, maybe this interview will be the turning point.
0: She is Aaron Gray. Aaron, welcome to the show. I ended up
4: being a contract player making, I think it was $600 a week. Gil was doing great. He was making the big bucks.
0: You got the posters, though. You got <laughs> yes. the posters. Come I on. look
4: better in white spandex. What <laughs> can I say? Hey, this is Michael Rosenbaum, Lex Luthor from Smallville. Make sure you listen to this guy's show. He sounds like a good guy. People should listen to you, Joe.
0: Catch the very latest episodes at the website, comicbookcentral.net. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, like it on Facebook, follow it on Twitter, and be sure to join me
3: each and every week for Comic Book Central. This is Dean Kane, Superman from Lois and Clark, and you're listening to comic book. comic book Comic
1: Book Central, where comic books come to life. Excelsior. The Green Slime ah! are here. Ah! into outer space with the heroic astronauts daring to explore beyond the moon, beyond the outer limits of human adventure, beyond the barrier of human credibility, fighting the unknown forces and secret terrors science couldn't predict. There's a monstrous thing aboard this station, from the moon, that's what killed Webber. What kind of a monstrous thing? (coughs) Discover the monstrous horror from the moon, Threatening to destroy everything it touches. The fiendish force that ignited the loves, the hates, the passions of the explorers in space. Oh, Gordon, I miss you so much. It's so
4: lonely
1: out here. All these men around? Oh,
4: don't tease me, not now.
1: The awesome adventure of the astronauts of Space Station X-7, a journey that controlled the destiny of the world suppose that space station gets out of control suppose it plunges toward earth carrying that deadly thing with it well it should burn up when it hits the atmosphere yes it should but suppose one tiny fragment didn't space age drama from tomorrow's headlines the suspense the drama the terror of human beings facing a fiendish monster from the moon too incredible to believe too gigantic to control too mysterious for man to comprehend this
4: is mutiny in outer space. This is Count Vlad, but you may recognize me by my more familiar name, Count Dracula, and I'm here to offer you a friendly warning. Derek and his guests often get excited and occasionally this results in revealing key plot points of the movies they're discussing in your parlance you might call these revelations spoilers you know how the children of the night ah i mean monster kids can get sometimes so consider yourself warned and don't come begging to me to kill them for their transgressions afterward I have more pressing issues to take care of. Like that pesky von Helsing.
0: Earlier this year, unfortunately, we lost yet another actress of, I'm going to say the Golden Age. Somebody who was involved in some genre pictures. Now, certainly she did a heck of a lot more. But there are three movies that come to mind. When it comes to the genre pictures, and Francine York, Mutiny in Outer Space, Curse of the Swamp Creature, and then the one we're going to talk about was Stephen D. Sullivan, Space Probe Taurus. Steve, welcome to the show.
3: Hey, it's great to be back on the well,
0: show. Welcome back. I guess this is the first time you've been on in 2017. It is. I well, hope the year is going well for you so far. I think this episode actually won't be coming out for a few weeks after we've recorded. So we're we're eh, probably about a month or so into the new year. So I hope everything's been going great so far.
3: Well, I hope so too. We'll find out. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Good point. It's been a little while, but, you know, you've had something pretty big happen since the last time I've had you on. Dr. Cushing's is now full steam ahead, right?
3: Yep. Dr. Cushing is up and rolling new chapter every two weeks. For free online, if you want to get it into your mailbox, you can go to CushingHorrors.com and sign up. And if you spend a buck, it'll come directly to you. And if you spend two bucks, you get it a month in advance. And if you want to do more than that, you can get your name in in the credits and that kind of good stuff. So that is rolling. I hope people are enjoying it. Bill Willingham did a 12 Days of Christmas project. Bill Willingham, the the comic book creator and old D anD D guy and really good friend of mine, did Twelve Days of Christmas, and I even did a Cushing horrors prelude for his Twelve Days of Christmas that he ran on Christmas Eve. So he was. It was a new story every day for 12 days of Christmas. What is
0: the full title? It's Doctor Cushing's
3: Doctor Cushing's Chamber of Horrors.
0: Excellent. Okay, and the prelude story that you did with Bill Willingham will that be available anywhere else, or are people out of luck now?
3: It is up on his Patreon site. I think it is still free. Okay, and darned if I can remember if he's got a URL for his Patreon. But if you look up Bill Willingham on Facebook, it should come up. He's doing. A, I think he's doing a. A story in a month or something like that right now. So with any luck, Dr. Cushing is still there and available for everyone to see. He was doing that as I remember for the general public rather than just patrons.
0: Excellent. So this is a story uh, an installment every, you said, every two weeks. Eventually, I'm assuming it'll be released as a full-on novel.
3: Yep. And if I get enough backers, I'm going to go to three times a month and then weekly too. So we're still struggling with a fairly low level of backers. But if people sign up just a couple of bucks, just a couple more people, and then we can start pushing up toward, you know. It would be nice if it came out every every week. That's my goal.
0: Sure. No, it should come out every day, Steve. What do you have to hit for your, <laughs> your Patreon to get every day?
3: You know, if I got a big enough Patreon, <laughs> 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 I might even be able to do that, at least until I ran out of chapters. We're on chapter two now. I think I just completed chapter 22 or 23. Of the novel, and I'll I'll definitely uh, get back to finishing it fairly soon. I've, I've taken a little time up to do uh, a D and D style map for the upcoming Gary Con right now, and then I'm writing a kids book too. But Doctor Cushing is is high on my creator own priorities right
0: now. Is this the first time you've done a Patreon? Yes. Okay.
3: Yeah, it's it's the first time that I've I've done my own Patreon. Uh, I've contributed occasionally to other people's, but sure. Yeah.
0: You've done other installment-type stories, like Daikaiju Attack was done on an installment basis and then yep. eventually became a full-on novel. And then even The Mummy story you did for Christopher Armim right. was done as an audio version, and now it's a full-on novel. So I guess what I'm saying here, listeners, is that Steve's got a proven track record when it comes to these installment-style stories.
3: No, it's, it's something I've done a lot, you know, sure. and- and all the way stretching back to when I was a, a comic book writer and used to write comic books on a, on a monthly basis. So yeah, doing things in installment is something that works out really well for me. And you don't have to worry that barring meteor strikes and stuff like that, that I'm not going to finish it or that it's not going to end up well. And I mean, even the Tournament of Death, that's an installment every day over the course of 17 days to make a complete novel. And I did that four times successfully. So if only I were getting rich doing it, it would be a perfect job. Which we go
0: back to that rich patron. So if there's anybody out there, you know, who's one, we just need one rich patron who can, well, support Monster Kid Radio. But then after that, (laughs) support.
3: (laughs) Well, if he supports me enough, then I'll support Monster Kid Radio even more. So he or she. Oh, I see. Okay.
0: Okay. Okay. People want to be
3: egalitarian here. So uh, (laughs) male and female billionaires millionaires you are welcome to come and bankroll us and then you'll get a lot more dr cushing
0: and a lot more monster kid radio i'll tell you that
3: there are sequels after this and a lot more monster kid radio eric and i are uh, we're not cheap but we're available
0: <laughs> well i don't i don't know, <laughs> I don't
3: know about boy this is getting close to spinning completely out of control
0: you know what let's get back to, let's get bring this back into orbit
3: bring you back to orbit somehow all that applies to space probe Taurus,
0: which was a 1965 film and i believe it was a canadian production production i could be wrong on that there's
3: not a huge amount of stuff out there about this at least not in the the kind of stuff that we could check
0: right i could be way off on the canadian thing so and listeners I've heard that it yeah. was
3: maybe designed as a tv movie yeah as well, or that it was part of a tv package even though it has a theatrical poster so one kind of assumes it got a release because of that
0: yeah, it was released on television in some ways, and it was called Space Monster at that point, which seems like an even worse title for what this is. Well,
3: and it, and, although maybe not as bad as First Woman into Space, which is one of its other names. Really? Really. Wow. <laughs> yeah, apparently. that's. I think that was one of the ones, and it's like, is that part of the story? I'm not sure.
0: Well, it, so. it, it could be, because... <laughs> The beginning of the movie, the whole, I don't think there should be a woman up here kind of, wow, really?
3: The weird thing is that completely independent of you and I knowing that we were going to do this, I watched three or four movies with that same kind of scene in them yeah. this last week. Some of it was inspired by there's, a, until the middle of February, there's a, a B-movie poster exhibit focusing on science fiction and horror at the Kenosha Public Museum. And so I went to that exhibit, saw all these great posters. They were so cool that I I literally took a picture of every one of them with my phone in order. (laughs) And then I came back home and said, okay, I think I've got almost all of these on DVD, but there's some I haven't watched. Which ones haven't I watched? And a bunch of ones I had and didn't watch turned out to be this kind of first woman in space thing. (laughs) where we get the stereotypical uh, women shouldn't be in space the way they shouldn't be in ships and, you know, in slightly older films and that kind of stuff. Ah, woman on the high seas. No, oh, that's a terrible idea. Everyone knows they're cursed.
0: <laughs> well if there is a woman in outer space in 1965, obviously it's science fiction, right?
3: Uh, right, Well, <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, but the Russians did send up the first woman into space. Verily. I know. It just very shortly after the first man into space.
0: I, I well i guess for me I watched this movie uh, actually this morning before we started recording. I had it on my DVR from when it was on Comet TV last year. I think last November.
3: Right. Yeah, which is when I picked it up too.
0: Right. And, and that's actually, and I've, I've mentioned this on the show before, but not only do I go through the week's listings of TCM, uh, I, I look at MeTV, Comet TV, all the retro channels, just to see what's coming up. My DVR is filled with stuff. I've got stuff from the beginning of 2016 on my DVR still <laughs> that I haven't gotten through yet. But Yeah, we do. I mean, it I was sitting there, and I decided to watch it. This, you know, I wanted to watch it for this. I watched it this morning, and all of this, I don't think there should be a woman here. And then she sure does fill out that space. just better than that big, heavy guy we could have brought along. And then, what? I don't – Yeah. I was not expecting that at all. I had no idea what this movie was like until I started watching it. Like what? what what?
3: Right. Well – the thing is, in, in movies from this time period, from the from the late fifties to the late sixties, you can really see the writers and the producers and the filmmakers struggling with the roles of women in society. It's like one of these two steps forward, one step back kind of thing. So in this one, we get Francine York is playing Dr. Lisa Wayne, who's a biologist or some kind of a general biological sciences.
0: Dr. Wayne. Don't call her Miss Wayne. It's Dr. Dr. Wayne. Wayne. Right. She makes that clear. You
3: know, according to IMDB, pretty much everyone on this spaceship, there are four people on the spaceship. And all three of them are listed as a doctor, though I'm not sure that John Andros is actually a doctor.
0: I don't think so either. Yeah, I I couldn't.
3: So I think that IMDB in error? When would that
0: happen? No.
3: So. But before we get too far into that, maybe we should explain just a little what the story of the film is.
0: It's really only about 30 minutes worth of story, I feel like, stretched over an hour and 20, but anyway. Yeah, Yeah,
3: well, the basic idea is that human beings in the future of, I think it was like the year 2000 or something like that so far. Sure, sure. Human beings are trying to colonize other planets around other stars. And they're sending out these – I guess they have space probes. I guess that's what – they never actually say it in the title. And they've sent out one that right at the beginning we see an astronaut who staggers back into his spacecraft. And the environment that he was checking it out has killed his entire crew and poisoned him. And he's dying. And he says to the mission control, he says, this is not suitable and I'm dying and everything's contaminated. Blow up my ship. And they do. And then we go from that to the new crew, which is uh, Dr. Lisa Wayne and Colonel Hans Stevens and John Andros, who seems to me to be some kind of a military-ish guy, and uh, Dr. Paul Martin, who seems to be kind of a doctor guy, and the colonel, who's obviously the captain of the ship. And they're sending them off to look for another habitable world, apparently, in a distant universe or galaxy or one of the things about this film that i notice is that they seem to have a real trouble with the terminology of space
0: <laughs> yeah that's so true
3: they're talking about going to explore different universes and as far as i know <laughs> you can't do that by shooting a rocket into space kind of a different <laughs> we have this universe and there are no other universes even though there are a lot of galaxies within our universe So they kind of use the universe and galaxy kind of interchangeably, and the distances seem to not kind of work. It's like millions of miles, they say, at one point, but maybe billions. And Anyway, but if you ignore all that, the point is that they're going off like in When Worlds Collide, which I think was an earlier film. I don't have it right in front of me. They're going to find a new place for human beings to live. It's not really clear why they're doing this, because the script is is really kind of threadbare. And it's not the worst script in the world, but certainly with a little more polish, a little more time, a little more science it could have been substantially better. So they're going off to find a new world to live on, and they're sending four people. And because it's the 1960s and the space race is going on, but people haven't kind of figured out how space travel works. Naturally, they've chosen four people that are kind of incompatible with each other.
0: Of course. Right.
3: <laughs> to go do this, including Dr. Lisa, who is the woman on the ship, who they spend half their time saying at the beginning, especially she shouldn't be here. And then half the time they're like fine and respecting her. that's, kind Of reflects the struggles I think society was having at that point, and then of course, at one point, she has to become the love interest as well. So, there's sending Dr. Lisa and <laughs> the
0: love interest of the person who was most against her being there in the first place, her being there in the first which place, which is even worse.
3: Yeah, yeah, that always happens yeah, in life, of right? Course.
0: Yeah, you know, she loves that. And you're like, Oh, you talked about how bad. I- oh, okay, yeah, let's have dinner afterwards. It's cool,
3: right? <laughs> because that's the way these things work, anyway. With a little more attention to the script, I think it, it could have been. Improves substantially. So the the four people they're sending off are the captain, who is a colonel apparently, and Dr. Lisa and John Andros, who seems kind of a mercenary fortune hunter kind of guy, and Dr. Paul Martin, who seems like he's mostly a maybe a medical doctor, but it seems like almost everyone on this ship, rightly so, at least has some kind of science-y training. Yeah. So when things break... They all work on it, and that's, that's one of the things they got right. They didn't get right the idea that you'd never send people into space that don't get along really, really well together. <laughs> you know, Star Trek would figure that out a year later.
0: Right. Yeah, that's true. In
3: 1965, that's one of the tropes that keeps coming up in space travel movies of this time, is that it's a ragtag crew that doesn't get along well together, at least at first. So, anyway, they send them out into space, and as they're looking for a new planet, well, they go past their space station, then some unspecified miles later or kilometers later or billions of miles later, they run into an alien space station, which they decide to investigate because the airlocks are open and they can't get them on their hailing frequencies, as though they don't quite say it that way. That's me talking Star Trek. Where
0: no, you can't talk about that kind of stuff without going to Star Trek terminology. It's right, especially
3: it since Star Trek had thought all of this stuff out pretty well.
0: <laughs> pretty much.
3: And, and this hasn't. So they can't hail the people, so they go decide to go in and check it out. They uh, wander around kind of aimlessly inside this alien space station for a while that's like nothing they've ever seen before, even though it really looks less sophisticated than their little spacecraft, which is a pretty good set, by the way. Sure. They run into a single alien who they try to talk to and this alien is the same aliens from Horrors of the Red Planet. Otherwise, is
0: it Horrors of the Red Planet or Wizard of Mars? Or are otherwise the same known as
3: Wizard of Mars. Okay. Uh, I think it was probably called Wizard of Mars on the first release. If you're looking for it now, you can buy it as Horrors of the Red Planet. Anyway, so they find awesome mask. one of those aliens.
0: Yeah, one mask, one alien.
3: One mask, one alien. It's uh, he doesn't one tongue, the, one tongue. <laughs> the bubble keeps protecting his head. When they try to talk to him, he repeatedly sticks his tongue out yes. as though he were some kind of a strange lizard man, and and <laughs> then attacks them. They're forced to shoot him, and after they shoot him with the,
0: what, what? With with what? What, what? what kind of gun are they using, Steve?
3: <laughs> they're, I think it's a forty-five. Look to me like a, a forty-five. That, you know, when I suit up and use my jet pack to explore <laughs> an alien space station, I always bring my 45 with me. Sure. 45 automatic.
0: Yes, yes. Of course, <laughs> you, well, you've got to be prepared, right?
3: And, you know, if uh. one of our listeners writes in and says, hey, that's not a 45 automatic, that was clearly a... Sorry. <laughs> gun foo is not one of my strong subjects. The point
0: we're making is that it's not a laser gun. It's it's there's a projectile, there's gunpowder involved. Right. Not exactly the safest thing. I'd think you want to be firing in an alien spaceship. Or an outer space, period, if you're worried about, I don't know, putting a hole somewhere and vacuum of space sucking you out, whatever. Not not the right. wisest thing.
3: Well, although it's unclear whether they're in vacuum or not and why you would carry a a gun that needs Gunpowder and ignition in a vacuum. I'm not Do guns even even modern guns do they have enough oxygen in the gunpowder to work in a vacuum?
0: I don't know, but I'm sure a listener out there might know
3: yeah, anyway, so they they are forced to shoot this alien alien dies, and as he dies, apparently the he's attached to the ship somehow, even though there's no a- obvious instrumentation to do this the uh the ship space station he was in starts to go on overload. So our crew decides to blow it up, which they do. And then they just move on. Hey, first encounter with an alien race. We had to kill him. We had to blow up his ship. Oh, well.
0: Let's keep going (laughs) on with the mission.
3: On with the mission. Off we go to something that sometimes sounds like planet Taurus they're looking for. They mention it like
0: once or twice and that's it.
3: Right. In a distant galaxy, maybe. Maybe. Or maybe it's just another solar system. Like I said, the space terminology, they don't seem to quite have figured out. Anyway, so they keep going. And as they keep going, you're never going to guess what they run into next, Derek. What what do you think they might run into? (laughs) Well, of course, they run into the ubiquitous meteor swarm. Of
0: course they do, because that's what you do.
3: (laughs) Because you cannot have a movie from this time period about outer space without a meteor swarm. Mm -hmm. So they run into a meteor swarm. They're forced to use too much of the ship's energy to their their force shield, which at least they have a force shield. Yes. Which comes in very handy and good for them for having one. It's kind of annoying that they can only use it for like 25 seconds. But on the other hand, you know, they use it for longer and then it shorts out the ship. And suddenly they're careening through space, lost in space, one might say.
0: Oh, (laughs) <laughs> yeah.
3: Even though, you know, I didn't look it up. That's right around that time period, right? I, I think so, up.
0: yeah. It's getting there. Yep.
3: They careen through space and happen upon a planet that they think, well, we can land here and make repairs. So they land on the planet, but they overshoot the land because it's 60% water. They end up landing in the water. Happily, their spaceship is advanced enough that this does not slow it down a bit. They just land underwater. No problem. No problem. And now they're sitting at the bottom of the sea. Oh, we talked about the spacecraft. Now, I think this is one of the things that I thought was really cool about this movie, in a way. They have a you know your standard kind of rocket ship, bullet-shaped spacecraft. Sure. And at the beginning of the movie, one of the only sciencey things they seem to have thought through pretty well at the start of the movie is that they explain... That all of the modules on this spacecraft are designed so that they can rotate from vertical to horizontal. Now, they also say hey, they have artificial gravity, so why they need to do that, I don't know. But if, when you're in upright flight, your room is upright. And when you're in horizontal flight, your room is still upright because it literally tilts. And they show this using the camera a couple of times during the film. But they actually kind of blow it. They don't do it really well. It, like, it's a little bit tilted, and they straighten it out. And it's a little bit tilted, and they straighten it out. But in theory, all of these rooms are like spheres or something, even though they look square. And they turn. And so when they're in horizontal flight, you walk from door to door to door through the ship's compartments. And when it's parked vertically or in vertical flight, you climb ladders to get up and down through the same room. So all the rooms have both a door exit and a ladder exit, which I think is kind of cool. I enjoyed that that little
0: touch. You know, I, I'm going to hold off on my comments here until after we get through the story. Cause there, there are some things that I'd like to say about that, but yeah, no, they land on the planet. They are in, underwater.
3: So they're in the water. They're upright in the water, like a missile about to take off. They're trying to fix the ship. There's all sorts of little soap opera going bet- on between all of them. Cause of course they have clashing personalities and that kind of stuff. They're trying to fix the ship. They're surrounded by giant monsters unlike anything they've ever seen, even though they're really just giant crabs, which they start talking like, I've never seen anything like this. And then one of them says, they look like giant crabs. Yeah, you so like, yeah, you
0: yes. don't go out to eat much, do you? I'm just, <laughs> right, yes, <laughs> you know, yes, red lobster, they, you know? Come on.
3: Yeah. They do look like giant crabs. I'm not sure what kind of crabs they are, but they're, they're definitely crabs. They're not uh, not hermit crabs or fiddler crabs or uh, didn't even look like uh blue shells or or most of the eating crabs, but they're clearly
0: crabs. They're they're
3: crabs. They're about half the size of ship, but they've got enough of the force field still going to keep the crabs away. They decide since they've crashed on this planet full of water, they might as well try to see if people could live here, so they uh, sensibly send up a kind of a weird balloon probe to the atmosphere to test the atmosphere. They decide it's breathable. And then uh, John Andros, who's as I said, he's kind of the military mercenary guy. He seems to alternate between wanting to get rich by writing books about the, his adventures and actually trying to do sciencey things. So they decide they're going to send him out to check out the the land, see what he can find. So he suits up in a in a wetsuit, which they happen to happen to have brought, and actually they have some underwater scenes of him swimming around and uh, being. Followed by this monster that looks suspiciously like one of the leftover suits from War Gods of the Deep,
0: which there's a very good reason for that.
3: <laughs> he goes up, discovers that the air is breathable and things look uh, hospitable for human life. Then goes back down to the swims back down to the spaceship, wherein, because clearly John's purpose on this mission is to be instantly attacked by aliens. Maybe they just don't like his looks. I don't know. <laughs>
0: That's a good so point. You're right. You're right. You're right.
3: Space station yeah. earlier, and now he gets jumped again, or rather swamped again by, and has tussles with this uh, kind of second class creature from the Black Lagoon character, who's from uh, a leftover War Gods of the Deep. the The producers of this got pretty good use out of costumes from previous films. I have to say, it did, it did add some some production values, it looks much better than one would expect for a film that clearly doesn't have a lot of money Mm -hmm. he is gravely wounded by these creatures, manages to get back to the ship Uh, I, I think he kills the one that's fighting him though I don't remember that for sure gets back into the ship reports that they found that this is a hospitable world for human beings, aside from the fact that it seems to have human-like monsters that are willing to kill people and giant crabs.
0: Yeah, it'll work. People can live here. Just don't go in the water.
3: And now we're going to get some spoilers going, so if you don't want to hear the rest of the plot, tune out from The ma- rest ma- of the plot? The, the, the next <laughs> we have like minute. 10
0: minutes of the movie left here.
3: Come on. Right, yeah, I know. <laughs> but the, here's the spoilery part. All right. Tune out now. All right. So, surprisingly, John actually dies. (laughs) He is killed by the monsters, dies amid his friends. They manage to put the spaceship back together, use the force field to get rid of the crabs that have finally decided to attack the ship, blast off, and return back home. We assume, though we never see them arrive, even though they didn't make it to another galaxy or another universe or whatever. It's really unclear again on, on the space. But they found a, a planet that for whatever reason people want to leave Earth, they can go and live on this new planet with the amphibian men. Apparently, that's not too <laughs> big a problem. Or the well, really we got big crabs. It's
0: a nice planet. Just stay away from the crabs.
3: Just stay away from the shore, because everyone knows crabs can go on the shore. So stay away from the shore, stay away from the hostile sea people, and we should be fine. And they're going to <laughs> name the planet after Andros One after John Andros, probably not a doctor, despite IMDb, <laughs> who has been killed by these to, things. To be
0: fair, Andros One sounds a lot better than dead John, the planet.
3: And Dr. Lisa, and... Uh, Colonel Hank Stevens decide that they're going to go out and have a have a few drinks and dinner. That's it. So, so
0: we, especially I, have been giggling like crazy through all of this. <laughs> yeah, me too. Um, and, and we should
3: we should point out that Derek and I, even if we're laughing at a movie, that doesn't mean we didn't enjoy it. Right.
0: I mean, laughter. It's not because I'm, I'm not being derisive. This movie made me smile and laugh a lot. I enjoyed it. There are some significant issues with right. the film. If you if you look at the film critically, okay,
3: it's a very cheap movie.
0: There's a reason why it's on Comet TV. I love Comet. I love Comet a lot. But let's be honest, Comet's not NBC or Fox. You know, they have a certain budget when it comes to what they're going to license on TV. I can't imagine Space Probe Taurus cost a heck of a lot. Don't even license, and that's a reflection of the film itself. Again, not saying anything negative about Comet. I love Comet, and I really kind of like this movie, but just go into it with these budgetary expectations. Right.
3: Uh, Know that this is a very cheaply made movie, but it may have been done to fill out part of a, a TV syndication package.
0: Or a contract or something.
3: And, for the producers,
0: and, and I misspoke. This was not a Canadian production. This was actually shot in Hollywood. So at the very beginning of this one, I said it was Canadian. I, I don't know what I was thinking. Uh, this was done in Hollywood. I mean, American International Pictures put it out. Right. Uh, the director Leonard Katzman is related to Sam Katzman. I mean, you've got these connections here,
3: right? And he he actually has a, a like a huge television filmography mm-hmm. as a producer and a, a writer, uh, including things like uh, Route 66. The Wild Wild West, Hawaii 5 O, a a season of that, uh, Petricelli, mm-hmm. Gunsmoke for four seasons, uh, Logan's Run, Dallas, the big thing, Dallas. Producer
0: on Dallas, so to go back to your soap opera comments. Right. Yeah, there, there's a lot of soap opera-ness to this.
3: Clearly this guy, you know, I've, I've heard people say that he was kind of the untalented one in the family, but the list of stuff he worked on. <laughs> Wild Wild West, man, the original steampunk show. Mm-hmm.
0: Which was actually, according to the IMDb, and again, we're we're assuming the IMDb is right, Wild Wild West was the next thing he worked on after this. So... I mean, he's got that. Yeah, There's a lot of people involved in this production that were behind the camera that I think I was more impressed with than the people that were in front of the camera. Yeah, Frances New York, she did the best she could. I thought she, she was
3: really good, actually. With her
0: material, I thought she was great. And I thought the grumpy doctor guy was kind of fun. Right. Um, the colonel the, the and, and, yeah, you know, I don't know. But Andros, if you could decide what kind of character he is, he was fine too.
3: You know, the funny thing watching this film is that it's clear that the, the cast is a good cast. The cast has some talent, and that's one of the reasons this film doesn't really suck. This is not throwing four people that have never acted before in a small set. All these people, if you look at their IMDBs, you look at their credits, they have, you know, just amazing things on their credits, like, you know, going my way with Bing Crosby and. Operation Burma, Sensei Jima for the guy that played the captain, I think, and then the Baines Baron, who who plays uh, the guy that gets killed. He's he was in the Ten Commandments and in the the Strangler and stuff like that. He's also in Chomps, which is playing on uh, on Comet TV this month. <laughs> this month being January, and you know, and you look at Russ Bender who played the Doc, and he was in the the war of the colossal beasts, and it conquered the world, and and other kind of cool things that we all like. These people all knew what they were doing, and you know, and that includes Francine York, who was in uh, you know one of Derek's favorite cheapies, The Curse of the Swamp Creature, and, and the Doll Squad. Right, These were talented
0: people. They really were. And I think where this movie suffers the most, like you said, is the characterizations of all these people who don't get along. I understand it's the script. It's the script. And I, I understand you're going to have drama when you have these disparate personalities. But if you really start to think about it, would whatever space program this is really put these people together and say, go into space into this tin can, basically? <laughs> you can't get right. away from each other no matter what happens. Right. And, oh, by the way, make sure you all have guns. Um,
3: <laughs> and it almost yeah. seems like it's, as is with a lot of the the movies from this time period, like when these people get into that space capsule, it's the first time they've ever met, <laughs> as opposed to mm-hmm. what we now know or what you can even sense in a, in a better made show like Star Trek, which Star Trek maybe got all this right because – of Gene Roddenberry's time in the military and the fact that he was working with people that had been in the military that knew what it was like to work on a ship or in some kind of close quarters with people that weren't like you, but you all had to get along because you were all working. But then you get something like this where it's like they threw the interesting characters together and they never stopped to think that you'd have to spend months training these people.
0: Right, I mean, they went too far to the other side on this. I think I, I, again, you want to have drama, and you get that by having these different types of people together. But they did go too far, right, uh, on that for this. For me, that's
3: just a common failing. I mean, you know, they had this similar kind of thing on the um, the space station one that you mentioned earlier that I'm I'm forgetting the um, name of mutiny on, yeah. on a uh, mutiny in outer space. That's it, right? Which I coincidentally I watched that this week too. Just before you even knew we were going to do that for the first time because it was one of the posters.
0: Oh, okay. <laughs>
3: that I got to see. I was like, "Oh, and again that one and I watched Project Moonbase this week and mm-hmm. something else too. They all had this similar kind of problem that they were throwing people together who didn't get along to do a mission. And Everyone that's ever been in the military or ever worked in close quarters with people know that that's, as the Berenstain Bears used to say, this is what you must never do. So let that (laughs) be a lesson to you. You never do that. You always get the people together that work together well, and then you think about sending them off into space. So that's the big problem.
0: That, That is, yeah.
3: The weird thing for me about this movie is that You can really see the dichotomy. It's almost like they threw that conflict in and then they throw the romance in at the end because people are going to expect that at that time. There's a portion in the middle of this film, especially, where it seems like they've gotten over the sexism and they all work together for a while until the plot requires that they start complaining again. There are sections where she's treated as a, as a competent scientist and the doctor is treated as a competent doctor and even John Andros who's kind of a jerk but there's a point in the middle where they're kind of all working together to the same cause and you think, oh see this is what they should be doing this whole time mm-hmm. but because of the what I think society expected and the kind of struggle society was going through at the time, just don't always get that and it's nice that she is, um, she being Lisa Wayne, played by Francine York, that there is numerous points in this show where they just accept that she's good at her job and knows what she's doing. And they don't question that. They don't say, well, you're a woman. Why would that be right? It's like, once she starts doing the sciencey stuff, they're like, well, she's the expert. We have to listen to what she says. Exactly. And it's good. And, and more of that, would have made this a better picture. So it's it's a shame when especially things like sexism or further back racism, even though obviously there's still problems with both today, kind of step on what might otherwise be a better motion picture. And the, the motion pictures that you you see from this era that tend to be the really good ones generally don't have a lot of that kind of crap in them. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. No, no Steve's right the issues with this film are are those elements. What really struck me about this movie, though, what I really liked, was a lot of the technical stuff, a lot of the uh, design of the spaceship. Oh yeah, their spaceship
3: is terrific.
0: The, I mean, the outside of the spaceship is kind of stereotypical, cliche. Right. But once you get inside. You know, it's got this almost submarine aesthetic in in the way the doors open and the sound effects and just everything about it to me rang true as, okay, I like this set. I like this location. I want to see a story told here. I want to hear a story told here because of all the way it sounds and, and the way it was built, the production design, the art design. I even liked the costumes. I thought the costumes right. were great. There, there's a lot here to really enjoy on that end.
3: The lighting and the photography is very good.
0: The cinematography by a guy by the name of Morris Hoff. I'm sorry, Morris Hoffman was the set designer. Uh, the cinematography was who was that? I have it right here. Robert Toby, I believe. Yeah, and Robert Toby again did a lot of television. You know, he did I Dream of Genie, Bewitched, things like that. But he also did you know some other film work as well. And I think the cinematography in this is great.
3: Yeah, it's very competently shot. And the mm-hmm. and the sets the the set on the main spacecraft is a very Convincing looking utilitarian spacecraft set from the
0: yeah that that maybe that's the best way to put it. There's a lot of talk about how the movie Alien, the first one, really changed how spaceships were viewed because it made it look more you know blue collar and kind of dirty and all that. I, I could see some of that in this actually. It felt more utilitarian. It wasn't clean. Right. It was you know the uniforms weren't all nicely pressed. Everything felt like a military operation that. You know, the ship's gone out and done things before. It, it really felt good.
3: Yeah, the main ship, especially when you see the supposed alien ship, the main ship seems like someone really spent a lot of time mm-hmm. and thought on it. Yes. And said, what can we do? And they didn't just throw a lot of electronic crap at the walls. And there aren't a lot of things that you look at and think, oh, geez, they they got that from a, an old laundry washing machine or that kind of stuff all seems like it's it's of a piece none of it seems like it doesn't belong in a spacecraft even if it's not in even in 65 you know mm-hmm. and I'm I'm I was uh, 6 then even then we had an idea what spacecrafts look like inside and it's not like this but this isn't a crazy extension or a crazy redo of what the inside of a spacecraft would look like.
0: And it's consistent. Every time they have to go in and out of a door, they have to pause because they have to spin the wheel and then the door slowly slides open and you hear that sound. Every time they go back and forth, you always hear that.
3: Which I thought was really funny. With the slow door opening, there's one point very early on where she and the captain are having a conflict. Yes. (laughs) and, and, And he's kind of being mean to her and she just Cuts him to the quick and then goes to exit the room. It's like she does the mic drop thing. It's like BAM, gotcha. The other two characters laugh because she just nailed the captain really good. She does the mic drop and goes to walk out of the room and then she has to wait yes. until the door slowly yes. slides away. Yeah. And,
0: and it's a good burn too. That might it was a good little snap. I, right. I don't want to say what it is, but it it's a good one. And yep. yeah, but then you have to I want to leave and then the door takes forever to open
3: she literally stands there and waits as the door (laughs) as the door opens oh that's an uncomfortable but (laughs) it was
0: great you know i I mentioned one of the names morris hoffman is the set decorator and paul silos was the art director and i don't know who did what but they both worked really well uh together and marjorie corso did the costumes and if you look at her credits She's done a lot of movies that are, you know, Monster Kid Radio Friendly, The Raven, Bitten in the Pendulum, House of Usher, Yeah, quite a few films, Frankenstein's Daughter, uh, The She-Creature, and she worked on. So, I mean, she's done a lot of genres. She's done a lot of other things, too. But I really liked what she did with the costumes yeah. in this. And, and the other thing that I really enjoyed, and you know I'm going to go there because of who I am. If you've been listening for a long time or even just a few weeks, you know I love my film music. Mm-hmm. I like the score for this quite a bit. Marlon Skiles was the guy who did the music here. And unfortunately, I don't think there's any CD releases with any of his music out there. But I really dug the score on this. Now, he might be best known to people uh, for doing like Mr. Ed, uh, uh. <laughs> the TV show and a few other things. A lot of his music ended up as stock music and things like The Zombies of Martell, 20 Million Miles to Earth, Great. So, movies like that.
3: Yeah, I hadn't really even thought about it, how the, the music is another one of these things. that's really good.
0: Mm-hmm. So. I really liked it.
3: Honestly, if there were a little less sexism, and if the alien spacecraft had looked a little better, this would probably be a lot more famous as a a low-budget movie than it is.
0: I would have loved to have spent more time with the aliens, so get more alien action, have that ship designed a little bit better. right? Give us more than the guy saying, what is that, crystal on top? Let us see it. Let us explore what that really is on top of that space station or whatever. I want to know more about it.
3: Right. There are a couple of places like that where you think, gosh, if they just had a little more money and a little better script, this would be a low-budget classic. As opposed to I don't know how, how you found out about this film, but I found out about it by a Comet playing it. Me too. I was zooming through their listings, and I was like, Space Probe Taurus, what the heck is that? I'd never heard of it before. So I set up to record it, and then when I, when I watched it, I was like, hey, this was kind of cool. It has two cool looking monsters in it. Of course, they did steal them from another show, but it's got a spaceship surrounded (laughs) by giant crabs. (laughs) Yeah, it's a tiny spaceship and not so big crabs, but still,
0: it's got some cool stuff in it. It really does. But you're right. Yeah, Comet's how I found out about it, too. And, I mean, thank you to Comet for playing this and showing it to us.
3: Yes, thank you, Comet.
0: This was a lot of fun. And w- will I watch it again anytime soon? I don't know. But if there's a decent DVD of this out there and I haven't looked, I- I'd pick it up. I'd add it to the collection.
3: I don't think there is. At least not not that I find immediately stuff going on. But I had never heard of this before I ran across it, literally ran across it, surfing right. channels.
0: And then when Francine York passed, and I was like, well, okay, let's... Let's see if she's done anything. Yeah, well, there you go.
3: This was a good one to do for her. You know, I, I know you're fond of the, the other Agar film, but I kind of like this better.
0: I think I do, too. And I know that might be blasphemy, but to me, John Agar can do no wrong.
3: Right. No, Agar's a great guy.
0: <laughs> the movies he's in sometimes can. Right. But he himself, he makes all the movies better.
3: Just, just the Curse of the Swamp feature, The production values aren't really, really good.
0: I, I mean, I still dig it. I, I enjoy it a lot. And I'm mean, going to have a lot of fun memories of it because I talked about it with Vince on the B-Movie cast. So, of course, it's got that, right, I should. that connection to me. But, yeah, no, this one was a good one, I think, to, to talk yeah, about. Yeah, it's a good one to talk to
3: about with her and, and better than Mutiny in Outer Space where, honestly, I don't remember her part. It must have been a fairly small part because she wasn't one of the two main female characters on that. And that's not a terrible film either. When I watched this week i was like well you know i mean it's got this the standard crew that doesn't quite get along and some of the sexism things but it's it's basically have you seen mutiny in outer space Jared? you know
0: i was going to and then when i did a little bit more digging i thought you know this might be the better one to look at so time wise this is the only one i watched
3: united outer space is actually kind of like a, a pre-green slime green slime oh really okay yeah, you would never suspect that from the title. Huh. Yeah, it it has uh, alien spores threatening to take over the space station and, and a guy that goes mad and stuff. It's kind of fun. I enjoyed it. And again, that's uh, one of these things that I, I think I looked up because I'd seen its poster the week before. Right on. <laughs> so purely coincidental that it happened to have uh, the same the same actress in it. Supposedly, though, as I said, I don't remember her part. She's very memorable, in Space Probe Tour, she's really good, actually. The lines she's given to speak are not always the best lines, but she delivers them with conviction, mm-hmm. and she plays well with the other actors that she's working with. Exactly, And that's a huge, huge boost for any film. You know, one of, one of the things that a lot of people don't seem to be able to separate out among cheap movies is a movie that is cheap and a movie that doesn't take itself seriously and is cheap. Right. And for me, you're almost always better off playing the material, even if it's not the best material, playing it straight than you are winking at the camera. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think, the difference between, especially even nowadays, when we have, there are a number of people that are making retro-style movies, and the The people that are making modern retro movies that I really like, like Christopher R. Mim or Joshua Kennedy, are the directors and the filmmakers that are playing straight with the material, not winking at you slyly and saying, we know this is terrible and you know it too, but just go with it. Playing it straight is almost always going to work for you, even if the material is not as good as you might hope.
0: I agree. I agree with you 100%. That's the key. Uh, you know. I'm a huge fan of Christopher Armand, and recently we had Joshua Kennedy on the show, and he's got a – depending on when this episode goes out, there may still be time for you to contribute to his Kickstarter for his next project, which is going to be the most ambitious yet.
3: Yeah, uh, I've already contributed. Everyone should throw some bucks in because Joshua does some – he's just out of film school, but he's already made six, eight movies? Full-length movies? Yeah, Something yeah like
0: that. quite a few. And, and he's got – I like Joshua a lot. I consider him a dear friend. Uh, He's always fond of saying brother from another mother, and I know that's cliche, but I totally (laughs) believe it. The thing about Joshua Kennedy is that I love him, but he pisses me off because he's doing what I wanted to do, and I didn't (laughs) when I went to film school or even before that. And and whatever. It is what it is. But It's uh,
3: never too late, Derek. ah. (laughs) Never too late. just take all the copious money you're making from your rotten day job and funnel it into making a, a good B movie. <laughs> That's what I say. That's what, I,
0: sh- I, I should start a Kickstarter like Joshua did. That's what I ought to do. Yeah, I can, maybe. I can make a movie like space probe Taurus for what? A couple hundred bucks.
3: Yeah. Maybe, maybe <laughs> <laughs> anyway, support Joshua's Kickstarter. Yeah. If it's still running.
0: Yeah. And, and if not, um, look forward to the movie coming because I'm sure it was wildly successful.
3: Buy his movie, buy Christopher's movies.
0: Yeah, so if you buy Christopher R. Mims' movies directly from him, he gets all the money from that. I don't know what can I don't know what Joshua's deal is with Alpha Video.
3: Right, he probably gets a pittance, but yeah. at least they're out there and they're professionally manufactured and produced. Often Alpha has sales where you can you know get ten movies for fifty bucks or something like that. Well, less so, than that, yeah. I mean, that's actually how I ended up finding Mm josh yeah (laughs) it's one of those sales it was like what the heck is this attack of the octopus people
0: now i'm told that joshua kennedy will be at monster bash this year he's going to be going uh if you are going to monster bash he's hard to miss because he said he's going to be wearing a top hat (laughs) (laughs) and he will be swooning over anything hammer related and there's some other things that might be coming up with him at monster bash but stay tuned because nothing's official yet that's all I'm going to say. All I'm going to say.
3: I haven't, I'm looking forward to hearing your show with him. I know that's coming up as, as we record it, it's not out yet. Yes.
0: And uh, just to make it relevant to the listeners, since now you and I are just kind of talking shop, uh, there will be a future episode with me, Joshua Kennedy. And yes, he's on board. Steve D. Sullivan is going to be joining us. We're going to be talking about the reptile in the near future.
3: Yeah. It's going yes. to happen. It should have been on the Blu-ray with the Gorgon.
0: <laughs> our conversation or the movie?
3: No, the movie. Oh,
0: okay. I was going to say it our should conversation the, should be on a Blu-ray.
3: The the Gorgon's on Blu-ray with a, another unrelated film. It would have been an amazing double feature with a Reptile. So, we're going to do that. We're going to do it. Yes, soon.
0: we are. He's he's on board. So I, And I know we we all,
3: all of this comes back to talking about Space Probe Taurus and talking about the fact that Despite the shortcomings, budget or script and whatever, you can make a decent movie by going at it and doing it sincerely and getting Mm -hmm. the best people you can and not winking at the audience.
0: You know what? You don't have to spend any money to, to see this in action because two of Joshua's movies are on YouTube right now. That's true. You can watch them for free. They're about an hour long. Airline 79 and Dracula AD 2015. Yep, They're both online. You can watch them right now.
3: And they're good fun.
0: Yeah, that's all I'm going to say. They're good fun. And
3: and might even make a, a good uh, second feature after you watch Space Probe Doris. <laughs> there you go. Just know going in that you know they're student films and they're made with uh, almost no money. And they're homages to the airport films and obviously Hammer.
0: All right, Steve. Again, Cushing Horrors. Check that out, people com.
3: Yep, or SDSullivan.com will always get you to my page where uh, chapters run for free.
0: So get on that. Check it out. You have no reason not to.
3: No, hey, it's free. What more do you want?
0: All right. Well, Steve, we'll have to have you back on. Next time we have you on, we'll probably be talking about The Reptile with Joshua Kennedy. That'll be fun. So stay tuned, listeners.
3: You know that I'm willing to be on this show every week. <laughs> I know,
0: man. But you know, I gotta keep it, I gotta keep mixing it up. I gotta have other people on. I know, you know? I
3: know, I know. Well, uh, it's nice to hear other people on here besides me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, Steve.
3: And it, it it keeps my family life a little easier, probably. Yeah, yeah.
0: Oh,
3: yeah. <laughs> you know, it's it's nice that we get away from the microphone every now and again.
0: <laughs> I don't know what that's like.
3: <laughs> I know. I know. God love you for it, brother. God love you for it. <laughs> All
0: right, thanks. <music> StephenDSullivan.com is in the links section of our website. It's right there. You can't miss it. Also, there's a link to the online home of the films of Christopher R. Mim. That's SaintEuphoria.com. I'll make sure that's in the show notes as well. I'll also make sure there's a link to Joshua Kennedy's page over at OldEast.com. This is where you can buy some of his movies like The Night of Medusa, The Vesuvius Experiment, Attack of the Octopus People, and a couple of others. And, yeah, his Kickstarter campaign is still running. As of right now, there's two weeks left. His goal is $8,039. As of this recording, he's only a little over 1600 Got a long way to go to make what is going to be a pretty cool monster movie, stop motion effects from Ryan Langill, the guy behind The Beast from a zillion years ago. That's going to be a lot of fun. I I can't wait to see this movie. Please check out the link to his Kickstarter campaign and check out CushingHorrors.com. Stephen D. Sullivan is a dear friend of the show. He will be back on. Like I said, he and Joshua and I are going to meet up and we're going to talk about The Reptile here on the show. Although I don't think that's going to really be the next time you hear steve i think the next time you hear steve is when we finally get around to revisiting the rally awards for those of you who don't know every year i try to do the monster rally retro awards here on monster kid radio been having technical difficulty the first two years well i think i licked almost all of them and steve will be coming back to help me lick those problems
4: five Four, three, two, one. Blast off for the fantastic space-age shock show, The Wizard of Mars, starring John Carradine. The Wizard of Mars. Never before in the history of motion picture technology has there been anything like the frightening new dimension of ultra-depth. It's not 3D, it's new. The most thrilling movie experience of all time. The Wizard of Mars dares you to remain seated as gigantic fireballs crash out of the screen and explode over your head. The Wizard of Mars double dares you to remain in the theater as a Martian electrical storm crashes into the audience. The Wizard of Mars triple dares you to retain control of your mind as telepathic creatures attack your brain. Crash diving into a thundering time storm to experience the most incredible screen journey ever taken. A beautiful Girl and three desperate men against the fury of Mars, the alien beauty of the Martian landscape, and the glistening subterranean Martian canals as you ride the rapids into the fiery depths of the Martian underworld. Journey through the valley of fire at the center of the red planet. Enter, if you dare, the haunted Martian city of the dead. Beware of the ghost-like creatures who refuse to die. Encounter the colossus of the universe, the mighty wizard of Mars, conqueror of a thousand worlds, master of the stars. Witness a battle with a gigantic spiked pendulum of death at the center of time. See the Holocaust as two great universal forces destroy the mighty Martian Time Dome. Don't miss The Wizard of Mars, starring John Carradine as the wizard with this great cast at a specially equipped theater or drive-in in Ultradepth. Color by Deluxe. Journey
1: into double terror with the late night double feature. With X, the fiend from beyond space, and the wall people. A crew of interstellar explorers must fight an unstoppable alien fiend from beyond space, hell bent on consuming them all. Will they survive? Can they survive? And on the same program. A man must fight to save his only child from the clutches of strange invaders who use their advanced technologies to steal sleeping children through their bedroom walls. Are your children safe? Two terrors to tear you apart in the late night double feature. Hello, this is writer director Christopher R. Mim, the master of the Mimiverse. You're listening to Monster Kid Radio with Derek M. Cook, the greatest person I've
3: ever
0: met, sure. <laughs> <laughs> you can leave that out If you follow The Shadow Over Portland, that is the blog run by our good friend Chris McMillan. You know that here in the Portland, Oregon area, we had a handful of monster movies running this month, and I had every intention of getting to them, or well, at least one or two of them, but... Those of you who follow me on Facebook or, or have friends up here or who are based here in the Pacific Northwest know that we got dumped on snow So earlier this month, I didn't get a chance to do the Monster Kid Radio crash for The Thing from Another World. Now, I know that at least one listener went to go see Attack with the 50-Foot Woman, which is awesome. I'd love to hear how that went. So, uh, you know, if you want to call in or something, just, you know who you are. Anyway, I know that next week the Academy Theater is showing them on the big screen. Don't think I'm gonna be able to make that one either. Oh, it's killing me that I didn't get a chance to see any of these movies at the Academy. I mean, how often do these theaters bring in classic sci-fi films like this? But just the way the day job kind of gets in the way of everything and weather and everything else just couldn't make it. But if you guys and gals are in the Portland, Oregon area, go support the Academy Theater. Check out them. It's an awesome movie. And to see it on the big screen, I'm sure it's amazing. Now, I did get a chance to go to a screening that got rescheduled thanks to the weather kind of dumping on us. The Hollywood Theater was one of the theaters that was going to bring in the Ultraman double feature, recently released with a dubbed English soundtrack. Now, the titles of the films were Ultraman X, Here It Comes, our Ultraman, and Ultraman Ginga S Showdown, Ultra 10 Warriors, Sure going to lose us something in the translation. Now, you guys and gals know I love Ultraman. I'm a huge Ultraman fan. I've been making my way through pretty much every Ultraman series I can get my hands on. Love me some classic Ultraman. Ultraman 80 is my jam, and I'm really digging Ultraman Orb. Ultraman X I'm warming up to. I actually think the movie kind of helped with that a little bit. And I've just been kind of dancing around, checking out other Ultraman series over the years, using Crunchyroll, which is a streaming service that shows a lot of anime and Japanese drama, but... They also carry a ton of Ultraman for the North American audience. It's all subtitled, and that's how I like it. Now, these are dubbed movies. Oh, man, I, I, I know. And I listened to the interview with the man behind the dubbing over at the Kaiju Kingdom podcast, and I thought it was fascinating. I, I was interested to hear about his philosophy in terms of how he lays an English-language dialogue on top of a film like this. And my hopes were high, actually, that I thought it would would work and i'm going to be honest with everybody i i didn't think it worked very well at all i okay maybe that's not fair it did work in some cases i think it worked when the dubbing was being done when ultraman was speaking because ultraman doesn't have a moving mouth maybe that's not fair but there was a real concerted effort to make sure that the english dialogue matched really well with the mouth movements of the actors and actresses. And at first I thought that sounded great, or it will sound great. That That's important. Attention to detail. It won't look like a low-budget kung fu movie. It, it'll actually, you know, not take you out of the whole thing. and kind of put you in the right mood. Unfortunately, the pacing and the spacing of the Japanese dialogue does not match the sentence structure of the English language. So you end up with a handful of sentences with a bunch of unnatural pauses and i ugh. i was sitting next to kyle yont from the kaiju cast because you know we met up there with a handful of other people and he made the comment that it felt very much like the sandy frank dubs from the gamma films that were shown on mystery science theater 3000 and even referenced kind of a little gag that they did that whenever somebody would talk and then there'd be that pause in the film they would riff go on go on you know, between those spaces and those unnatural, even more Shatner than Shatner spaces between words in the sentences. It was very distracting. On top of that, it still had that kind of yelling, over the top kind of pitch and delivery that I don't like in a lot of English dubs of the limited anime that I've seen where everybody sounds like they're screaming and maybe that's an oversimplification, really. I haven't sat down to watch anime in forever. But it just had that kind of grating, screaming, over-the-top kind of sound. Nobody felt like they were the appropriately aged in terms of the, the voice actors that they brought in. Everybody seemed much younger than the characters that were on screen. And I know the characters in Ultraman are sometimes younger, and it's skewed toward a younger audience. I get that. But it still felt like the adults, even a few of them, still had voices that were too young. In the English dub, and in Ultraman X, the movie, the the one monster character that works with the group of humans, um, it was pretty rough. Uh, felt like an old episode of Big Bad Beetleborgs or something like that, or or it just didn't work for me. That said, it was awesome to see both movies with some fellow kaiju and podcast nerds. Really, like I said, I was sitting next to Kyle Yount. Know, Gretchen was there. Clancy was there. Dave was there. Charles was there. These are people that have all been on the Kaiju cast, which is my hands-down favorite giant monster podcast, the best around, Kyle. I mean, he's just a master when it comes to this whole podcasting thing. And I love his show. And to be able to see the movie with him and the crew, that was a treat. I don't know how. A couple of podcast producers and a handful of people that have been on podcasts managed to get out of there without actually recording something for one of our podcasts. But whatever. (laughs) I don't know what we would have said other than complain a little bit about the dubbing in the film. I enjoyed watching the movies. I like the Ultraman X one a lot more than the Ultraman Ginga. I feel like if they had flipped them around in terms of the order in which they showed the films, it would have worked better. But then I'm also the guy that said that they should have swapped the two features in the Quentin Tarantino-Robert Rodriguez grindhouse film. But that's way outside the MKR wheelhouse, I think. Is it? I don't know. Anyway, I love Ultraman. I had a great time seeing it. And if they ever release them subtitled, I'd certainly snatch them up and add them to my collection here. I'd love to see them again. I just see you know, where the dialogue might have been a little bit different. I probably would have enjoyed a little bit more hearing the original voices of the actors and actresses involved. Anyway, I'm getting a little nitpicky and maybe a little hipsterish or elitist about this whole thing. Bottom line was I had a blast. And if they bring in more Ultraman movies, because they might, maybe, fingers crossed, I will certainly go see them on the big screen. <laughs>
1: This is
4: my world. I am their king. Vincent Price. His kingdom threatened by volcanic destruction. A king so captivated by an earth woman's beauty, he sends his half-man, half-monster gill men to kidnap her. gods of the deep takes tab hunter in his attempt to rescue lovely susan hart into a world as unbelievable as david tomlinson and his bosom pal a hen named herbert don't worry herbert i'll get you home in time for tea (laughs) this is a world as old as the ocean it's a
1: hunting party these creatures help us to obtain food
4: Death is always near.
1: There is no way out. Not for you. And not for him. Nor for the girl.
2: like no other, from the mind of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Watson! The year is 1896, and Sherlock Holmes faces his most peculiar case yet, the mystery of the six Napoleons. Good, thank you. Come, Watson, the game is afoot! joshua kennedy as the master detective a new and exciting sherlock holmes i dare call nothing trivial watson nothing you'll remember how the dreadful case of the Abernethy family was first brought to my attention by the depth Depth of which the the parsley parsley had sunk into the butter on a hot day yes yes we all know what you did bessie nellis dr watson's most beautiful portrayal it is clear that the possession of this trifling bust was worth more in the eyes of our strange criminal than that of a human life. Jonathan Danziger as Inspector Lestrade, Amy Zilliax as Mrs. Hudson, also starring a cavalcade of great talent, Jake Williams, Tracy Thomas, George Chapper, Michael Rosenfeld, Will McKinley, Mark Holmes. <laughs> Yes, it's quite humorous if I do say so myself. Well, there it is. The return of Sherlock Holmes. See it in Gooey School. Hi, this is Joshua Kennedy, director of Attack of the Octopus People, Dracula AD 2015, and the Vesuvius Experiment. You're listening to Monster Kid Radio.
3: Enjoy. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I kind of babbled on and on and on about Ultraman. I didn't mean to. I was just going to do a little bit and that was it. Anyway, this is the end of Monster Kid Radio. I want to thank you for listening and being part of the show this week. This podcast, you know, it's, it's, it's a two-way street. I, I can put stuff out there, but if you're not there listening, I mean, who am I talking to really? I'm just talking to myself, my microphone and whatever cat happens to be in the living room staring at me right now. And right now, uh, that's Lovey staring at me. So it's me and Lovey in a microphone and maybe you're on the other end of this thing. Thank you for listening. Thanks to Stephen D. Sullivan for being part of the show. We actually put that recording together kind of last minute. It wasn't something that got planned with a lot of notice. So Steve, thank you for making yourself available for that. We'll definitely have you back on any chance. I get to talk about the genre cinema of yesteryear with one of my favorite writers. Well, you know, just saying, and, you know, good friend. Anyway, what's coming up next on monster kid radio. Well, next week, <laughs> I don't know if you heard that little ding or not. I I'm wearing headphones. So I don't know if you did, but It's funny, I have a Facebook page up while I'm recording this for the show, and I just got a Facebook message from Joe Stuber asking me if I have an air date for Mad Monster Party. Well, coincidentally, yeah. It's next week. Mad Monster Party! Mad Monster
1: Party! Starring Boris Karloff. And, in order of their appearance... Dracula. Frankenstein. The Werewolf. The Hunchback. The Mummy. Dr. Jekyll. Mr. Hyde. And, in order of his disappearance,
2: The Invisible
1: Man. Also starring Phyllis Diller as the hostess with the least. Ah, 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 Mad Monster Party! Let's dance. (laughs) It's a come as you are party that's out of this world. You don't get invited. You get
2: committed.
1: (laughs) It's a psychedelic scare with the grooviest ghouls of all time. (laughs) Mad monster party. anyone? It's a blast.
0: Joe is the man behind the podcast Comic Book Central over at comicbookcentral.com. That is where comic books come to life. Oh, and he just sent me another message. Awesome. Teased it last week, and I'll mention it this week as well. So if you want to hear Joe now, head over to his podcast. Check it out. February is flashback, flash-forward February for him, which means he talks about nothing but stuff that has to do with The Flash, whether it's the TV show or one of the versions of the TV show. You just have to go check it out. He does this every February, and it's always fun. It's always great. It's one of my favorite comic book podcasts, and not just because Joe's a friend. I'd listen to it anyway. Anyway, he's coming over to talk about Mad Monster Party. and. It's going to be fun. It's going to be a treat. And I think I can go ahead and tell you right now, the week after that, I've got Frank Schilderner coming over. And he and I are going to talk about his upcoming Frankenstein novel. He's got a sequel to his book, The Quest of Frankenstein. He's teased it already on Facebook, but you're just going to have to come back in two weeks to hear what the name of the sequel is. Also, we're going to talk about our favorite Frankenstein foes. We're going to do a top three list. So that's going to be a treat. Come back for that next week. Joe and Mad Monster Party the week after that, Frank and some Frankenstein talk. And well, who knows what else? Stay tuned to monsterkidradio.net to find out or check out our Facebook page or our Facebook group. Like the page, join the group. That's where you're going to find everything you need to know about the show as well. Our contact information. If you have any thoughts about what we talked about this Week on Monster Kid Radio, or any of the previous episodes, or what's coming up, email me at monsterkidradio at gmail.com or give me a call at 503 479 5657. It's 503 479 5MKR. Would love to hear from you. All right. I think that's it. We're done. Let's get this out into the potosphere and close with the song Space Race from the band Lost Cosmonauts. It's from their brand new EP. Vanguard. You can find it over at Lost Cosmonauts and then the number one.bandcamp.com or just look him up on Facebook and there's a link to their Bandcamp page there. This album came out at the end of December last year and I dig it. Four tracks. Name your price to download the album. You just can't go wrong with that. Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0, unported license. Of course, that doesn't apply to that song, Space Race. That belongs to The Lost Cosmonauts. They gave us permission to play it here on the show. So big thanks to them, and big thanks to you for listening. Talk to everybody next week. My name is Derek M. Cook. Ciao. Ciao.